Well, good morning. You know, I've sometimes heard people say that God doesn't speak to them, or they don't know how to hear God's voice, or they may suspect that God doesn't have anything to say. Or there are some Christians who believe that God is done saying everything he needed to say and that his word is sufficient. And so you're not going to hear anything from God other than his word because you don't need any more. Well, I don't know about you, but I need a little bit more. I need to hear the Holy Spirit speak to my heart. And so when we open up the word of God, whether it's myself speaking or someone else, it's important to recognize that we're not only just reading God's word, we're hearing God's word. And God will oftentimes, and many of you have shared this with me over the years, Take something from the message and apply it. The Holy Spirit will take it. He'll, he'll point to your heart and say, you know what? That's for you. And it may even be somewhat outside the context of what was being said in the scriptures. And I'm sure you've experienced this. I have certainly. But one of the things we need to know is that God will never leave to chance you hearing the gospel message. There are many people that are greatly concerned that there are a number of people groups in this world that have yet to even hear about Jesus. And that's true. There are. There are missions organizations committed to bringing the message of the gospel to unreached people groups. And we applaud that and support that incredibly. However, it's important also to realize that you can have a neighbor in your building or down the hall. uh, You can have someone at work. You can have someone in your family who hasn't really heard the gospel presented properly. And there's this overwhelming sense, and I'm sure you felt it, where you feel responsible. And you should feel a desire to share the gospel, but ultimately the responsibility for the gospel being shared is the responsibility of God, the Holy Spirit. He may use you. In fact, I believe he will. And he's used many of you, myself included, to bring that gospel message to others over the years. But at the end of the day, aren't we glad that it doesn't depend on us? Aren't we glad that God can speak in wonderful ways? There are uh, testimonies now of the underground church in Persia or Iran. And I've heard many of these testimonies. And they go something like this. Someone who's been raised a Muslim, never really heard the gospel, goes to sleep at night and has a dream. And in that dream, they hear the gospel message, or they see Jesus, or they learn about Jesus, and they find out that there's salvation in God's Son, Jesus. And they give their lives to Jesus. And and then they start, they they find a church, an underground church. You know, I've heard that the underground church in Iran is larger than we could possibly imagine. Certainly a large church in China underground. So what is the point of, of this introduction? It's to tell you this. God will use you, but he doesn't need you. And aren't you glad we need God? Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can depend upon you. We thank you that your word goes forth regardless of the vessel. We thank you that we don't need to be the ones to say to ourselves, oh, we need to do, we need to do, we need to say. We just simply need to be submitted to you and know that you will speak to all peoples As we make ourselves available, you'll speak through us, but you'll speak to all peoples, and you'll even send angels if necessary. Lord, help us to understand our response to your ability is our responsibility. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we are in the book of Revelation, and we are in chapter 14 and verse 6. 
And in this section today, we're going to see the messages of three angels. Three messengers, three spiritual beings are going to bring in the last days, I suspect very close to the end of that seven-year time period called the time of tribulation that we've been talking so much about, that there will be, or God will send, three angels, three messengers. And each message is different, and yet they're all connected. And it starts in verse 6, verses 6 and 7. Let's read this. John writes in chapter 14 of the book of Revelation in verse 6, Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, and language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. That's a pretty stark, Spartan message. There's not much to it, is there? I think of the message that Jonah brought to the Ninevites. Forty days and then the judgment. And then from the king down to the least person in the kingdom, they repented. And they were spared. I think that's another thing we need to remember. The extent to which we speak or the eloquence of our message is really unimportant. We think that, oh man, if I could just craft a message, and many times as pastors we put this pressure on ourselves, and I'm speaking specifically about sharing the gospel, we think that if the message is well crafted and and we, we speak with eloquence, that somehow that will add to the soup, if you will, you know? It's like, we want to add something to it. I'm here to tell you, I have seen pastors with the gift of evangelism give a message that I can only describe as confusing and poor, and hundreds of people come forward to receive Christ. I've seen men like Billy Graham, the late Billy Graham, get up in front of a stadium full of people and share a message that you or I could do probably with our eyes closed. The message isn't even complicated. I mean, it's succinct. He had done it for many years, but still people were not responding to the message or even his voice. People were responding to the gospel. Now, I'm not giving us excuses to not share the gospel. That, that's not the angle today. The idea is just to understand the power of God is the power of the message. The power of God is the power of the message. So you can share the message if there's no power from God in it. It's useless. And it can be eloquent. And Paul said, you know, I, I really determined. It's funny. He went to Athens, which was the cultural center of the Greek world. And he spoke on the Areopagus or Mars Hill with eloquence because he was a brilliant man. And, he, and, and it says a, a few believed. They mentioned a couple people. Not, not very inspiring results. And then he goes to Corinth and he says of the Corinthians, when I came to you, I determined not to speak eloquently, but to speak about Jesus and him crucified. He kept it simple because the message is the power. The power is in the message. That is the point. And look at this. God is not depending on us to bring the message to the nations, though we are called to do so. We're depending on God to bring the message to the nations. Now, I'm I'm so glad we have this message today with our missions presentation that Carl shared, because when God calls you to go, you go and you become the angel. You become the messenger, but it's still the message of God. It's still God's power working through a person. We all know he can speak through anyone. So here's the thing. In the last days, 
it will be very difficult to get the message out. Right now, it's not so difficult because we have all the technology in the world. We have the internet, we, we have social media, but we also have opportunities to share the gospel with individuals. We've been talking about the last days and how difficult it will be to be a Christian, let alone get the message out. So will God say, well, you know, I'd really like to reach more people, but it's so challenging and difficult right now that, you know, the, the saints of God just can't get the job done. No. What he's going to do is send an angel to make sure that there's no one on the planet with an excuse. That everyone will be given an opportunity to hear the message before the judgment comes. Does that sound like a loving and gracious God? It does, doesn't it? Because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And he's not going to leave something as important as someone's salvation up to you and me and our ability or willingness even and availability to bring that message. And that just, you know what that allows me to do? It allows me to breathe. I just say, I'm so glad God is not depending on me. Having said that, I've traveled on missions. I've done evangelism. I share the gospel every chance I have. But I'm so glad it's the work of God and not me working for God. It's God working through me. It's God working through you. And here he works through an angel. John saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to all who lived on the earth. So everyone is going to hear it. I kind of wish that would happen today, to be honest. But for now, God is working in amazing ways, in different ways than he will in the last days. We are in the last days, but in the very last days, God is going to ensure that everyone everywhere in every language hears the good news. Now, that is very encouraging. I think of what Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 24 and verse 14, where this was predicted by Jesus himself. He said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached. Notice he says will be, so that's future. Will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So there are some who believe that that has to happen now, that we can somehow do that. Uh, we, listen, with God, all things are possible, amen? With man, these things are impossible. So we're not looking at us and saying, oh, we have to do this because God is waiting on us. He would come back if we could just get the job done. But there are many people in this world who have not heard the gospel, whole people groups, language groups, who've never heard the name of Jesus. And there are wonderful missions organizations doing their very best to bring the gospel to them. That is the desire of God, the Holy Spirit, now. But in the last days, God will not allow anyone to enter eternity without making a choice to receive or reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. God is not relying on us to make sure everyone on earth will hear the gospel. That will happen by an angel, which has got to be pretty impressive to those listening. And by the way, still many don't respond. So just, just stop a moment and realize that if an angel from God in, this, in the heavens was preaching the gospel, there are people alive today and will be alive then who are not interested. So the next time you share your faith and you share the gospel with a coworker or a friend, a friend or, or, or a neighbor or a family member and they reject it, Remember that they rejected Jesus. They rejected Jeremiah and Isaiah. They rejected John the Baptist. And they'll reject this angel as well. Some, some will. But God will not allow anyone to have an excuse. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know. No, that will not happen in the last days. God can use angels in heaven, but he will also use his servants on earth. That's the balance. 
Now he called them, the angel did, called them to fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. So in that day, the judgment will be very near. And remember that God sent angels into Sodom to deliver Lot and his family. Well, God will send an angel on the earth to make it clear. It's very close. The Lord is going to come. The judgment of God is about to come. Now, there are two reasons why this is very important. One is so you'll understand that God does the work. The other is so that you understand that Jesus is not going to come back and take you by surprise as it relates to his return to earth. Jesus will not come as a thief in the night when he returns to reign and rule over the earth. That will be predicted by angels. We know exactly when he'll return in terms of other events that will take place in the last days. We're given to the day, the number of days that will transpire between events. When we talk about the Lord coming as a thief in the night, when we don't expect him, we're talking about the Lord's return for his church. We're talking about what's called the rapture of the church. We're not talking about the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ who will come again to rule and reign. Because one is an easily predictable and well-announced event, the other will take you off guard even if you believe it's going to happen. Even if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're not going to know the day or the hour. You're not going to know when it will take place. How is it possible to not know when the Lord will return and to know exactly when he will return? There's only one possibility. We're talking about two different events. We're talking about the rapture of the church, which could take place now, or even now, or now, or tomorrow, or tonight. That moment in time, God himself has not revealed to us. And I am here to say that today you need to know, prophetically speaking, there is literally nothing that needs to take place before God could return for his church. Because that, that is an event that is separate and apart from all of the things we're talking about in the last days that are very specific, like a desecration of the temple, which doesn't even exist at this time, or angels flying through the sky. Uh, don't expect that before the rapture of the church, necessarily. I, I think what you need to expect is that one day we will be going about our life, serving God, and he will call us upward to heaven. Amen? I'm kind of excited about that. But my hope is still in the return of Christ for not just his church, but to the earth. Because even as we're raptured out of the earth, you need to understand something. The earth is still in trouble. And, and so we pray for the blessed hope of his appearing, which is something that will take place at the end of a seven-year time period we've talked so much about. And we'll get there when we get to chapter 19. But here's the thing. God is calling the people on the earth at that time to fear God and give him glory because judgment's about to happen. The Lord is about to return, and when he does, judgment will come upon the earth. And God will extend his grace one last time before he pours out his wrath on the earth. Does that sound like the loving God we serve? Yeah. And that's the heart of God. Since Christ's death and resurrection, the earth, this earth, has only known God's grace. Yeah. Only God's grace. We are all experiencing the grace of God each and every moment as we live on this planet now. But there will come a time where the wrath of God is poured out. Not the grace of God, but the wrath of God will be poured out on the earth. We're not there right now, thank goodness. But that day will surely come. 
And in the pain and anguish that life inevitably brings, God is gracious and merciful and loving. I want to stress that. He is all of those things. There is no reason to suspect that he isn't gracious and merciful and loving. God will continue to be merciful right up until the moment he brings judgment. Now, God will send one final angel to desperately plead with men to consider their foolish ways. And that both encourages me and and in a little way kind of discourages me to think that despite all that God has said up to this point, there'll still be people in that day who say, nah, I'm not interested. Ah, you know what? That's good for you. Well, I'm not really into that born-again thing. You know, I believe in God, but I'm not interested in being a fanatic. Those are the kinds of excuses we hear. Well, how do you know? Oh, all roads lead to God. How do you know there's only one way? These are the kind of responses we get. Those responses will continue right up until the bitter end, and they will. But he calls the people, this angel, not only to fear God, but to worship God. You see, to fear God, you can fear God because the demons fear God and they tremble. But it's not enough to fear God, to to respect and and believe in God. There has to be a worship of God that allows you to experience God in relationship. This is the God who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Now, I find it interesting that those, those things are mentioned. The heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Because this message apparently comes out before some of the judgments come upon the earth that affect the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. For example, we saw that the heavens were affected when we read about the fourth trumpet, and the sun is going to be devastated by the fourth bowl judgment. We haven't even gotten to that yet. And then the earth was affected by the first trumpet, and its people will be devastated by the first bowl judgment. It's interesting, those, the bowls and the trumpets are, are linked. Uh, they, they affect similar things. But this is all going to be after this message has gone out on the earth. This message will go out before the wrath of God comes upon the earth. And also the sea was affected by the second trumpet. It's going to be devastated by the second bowl judgment, as we'll see when we get to chapter 16. And then the springs of water specifically mentioned, they were affected by the third trumpet. They're going to be devastated by the third bowl judgment. So God's judgment is coming, has started to come upon the earth, but like we've just seen the things that have happened in the narrative. But here we know behind the scenes somewhat, God is not letting his wrath come upon the planet without giving people an opportunity to be spared his wrath. And again, does that sound like the loving God that we serve? Yes. So encouraging. So this is why I say Revelation isn't a scary book. It's not a book all about God's judgment. In fact, very little of the book is is truly about God's judgment. It's about the message of God's mercy. And the judgment is coming. And so the message of mercy goes out to spare people the judgment of God. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins to spare us the judgment of God. God is not happy about bringing judgment on this planet. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants all of us to be saved. He so loved the world, God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God is deadly serious about getting this message out and having people respond. And still... People reject the message. So then there's a second angel. And this is interesting because all of these messages, well, the first one is a message of of salvation. And the second one is a message of judgment. 
but it still is announcing a judgment that hasn't happened yet. Why would you announce a judgment that hasn't happened yet unless you were trying to spare people judgment? You see, that's the heart of God. And so we read in verse 8 that a second angel, John writes, followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. We're going to talk more about Babylon the great when we get to chapter 17. But for now, this angel goes out and proclaims that Babylon the great had fallen. Now, what is Babylon the Great? Again, we're going to get into this in great detail in future studies. But we do know that the world's religions will ultimately merge into one global socioeconomic system. The most wicked people in our world today are trying to move us toward globalism. Why is that so important to them? Well, they use climate change and the climate change agenda. They use uh, peace They use war. They use all types of things to achieve one singular goal, global domination. Why would that be so important to many of the nations? Now, there are nations that are not interested in being part of a global community. Uh, We've had presidents that are against it and leaders that are against it. We still do. And we have leaders that are for it, which goes to show that many of our leaders are corrupted into this way of thinking. But you have other nations throughout the world that are not interested in being part of a global community either. Uh, I can think of some of them that are not necessarily places that I want to live. But we haven't gotten to a place where the whole world is holding hands like that. I guess that was that Coke commercial back in the 1970s. And I'm really dating myself now where all these people are holding hands. And I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. Remember that? Maybe you don't, but it happened. Commercials have changed quite a bit. Now I don't even understand what they are. I'm watching. I'm like, what is this? What are they selling? I don't even know what they're selling. At least back then we knew they were selling Coke, which is no good for you, by the way. So here's the thing. The world is is being pushed, really prodded and pushed towards unification so that those in power, demonically inspired power, can have more power. And so all of the events we see, whether it's pandemics, engineered or not, elections, the things that are going on in our world, everyone's freaking out over. And I look at this and I think to myself, well, I'm not freaking out because God said these things would happen. If anything, the more I see, the more I realize the time is short. And I have mixed feelings about that. You, I want to go on living in like the 1950s, leave it to beaver world. I mean, we all do, right? But wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm really dating myself today. Okay, uh, let's see. I would say the Cosby show, but you can't say that anymore. <laughs> to, to live in some idyllic, utopian, idealistic world, we, we would all love that for ourselves and for our children and for our families. You go out another hundred years of having barbecues and parades and vacations and trips to Disney, can't say that anymore. So here's, here's the thing. The world is changing so rapidly, so quickly, it's decaying. And many of us long for the 1980s. I always say that if I could get into a DeLorean and go back to 1985, I would. And then my wife gets a little upset because we met in 86. That's not what I mean. I mean, I think we all long for that. We want to restore that. We hope to vote for someone who will bring us back. But listen, listen, listen. Even if that were to happen, it's not going to last forever. Because we're heading towards judgment. 
And the world is becoming more wicked, and so I have mixed feelings. But on the other side, I think to myself, well, it's not all bad news, because once some of these things start to happen, the Lord is going to take us into heaven. Amen? I'm good with that. And and even then, it's going to be just a few years before he returns to rule and reign, and we return with him. So, you know, when I look at it that way, it's not all bad news. But there's a lot of tough stuff we got to get through before we get there, even before the rapture. So all of this is about being prepared. We talked about being holy last week. Today we're talking about getting the message out, or God's message, and we realize there is coming a day when this world system, this global system that's being formed and and being uh, brought about now will be destroyed. And for that I say amen. But it's not today. It's not going to get all that much better. In fact, as far as globalism is concerned, it it more than likely in our lifetime is going to get worse. And so this disturbs me. But I also realize the angel says, Babylon the Great has fallen. This Christ-rejecting religious system and this world system that we're heading to will be based in Rome. We've talked about that before. It's going to be Eurocentric. It's going to be satanic. It's going to be greed-ridden. It's going to be inhumane. Not hard to imagine. But Babylon will ultimately be destroyed of, by, of all people, the coming world ruler we call the Antichrist or the Beast. Something's going to happen where this system's actually going to be destroyed by the one who runs the system. And that's hard to understand exactly how that will happen. But as we get into our studies in Revelation chapter 17, that is what we're told. And it doesn't surprise me. Satan is looking to destroy Will it surprise you if a world system is created by Satan and his minions and then they destroy the system they create? Shouldn't surprise you. They're constantly, the forces of darkness are constantly looking to to build up and destroy. They build up in a wicked way and then they destroy as many lives as they can. It's about hurting people, destroying lives, bringing destruction. So that doesn't surprise me. But we'll talk more about this in chapter 17. The whole chapter, actually chapter 17 and 18, are all about what's in verse 8. So we're not going to get too much more into it this morning. But the maddening wine represents Babylon's wicked influence over the nations. Now understand something. Wine, alcohol, is called spirits. That's the same word for evil spirits. Now, why is that? Well, there's nothing inherently evil about alcohol. But even the Greeks, they used to celebrate through worshiping the god Dionysus, and then the Greeks called him Bacchus, so that's where we get that word bacchanalia from. This idea of giving yourself over to partying and reverie and and, uh, all all of the the alcoholism and, 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 and substance abuse, that that is, according to the Greeks, was serving the god Dionysus. And and that God was served by giving yourself over to your flesh. I've got another name for that God, Satan. He's the God of this world. And the Greeks just kind of give him uh, a name and and the Romans did. But at the end of the day, it's Satan. He wants the world to give themselves over to partying and alcoholism and drug abuse. And where do you think this fentanyl is coming from? Oh, China, it's the Chinese... Maybe it comes through them, but I pretty much guarantee that there's a demon somewhere manufacturing this stuff. Oh, he's working through people. Have you ever thought about this? Because I always thought about the drug problem in this way. You want your customers to buy more and more drugs, right? 
What sense does it make to create a drug that kills people the first time they use it? If, if you're a drug dealer, I'm not, I'm not in the business. I just, I just, I'm just thinking, you know, why create a product that's going to kill your customer base? Unless it's satanic. Unless it's the forces of darkness trying to destroy people's lives. See, it all starts to make sense when you, when you look and see who's actually behind these things. You can blame a nation, you can blame a government, you can blame a group of people, but at the end of the day, who is really responsible for the things that are going on in our world today? Well, the good news is, this is more good news, that world system's going to be destroyed. God's going to allow it to be destroyed. And this maddening wine, and it's interesting because wine is, is symbolic of the influence, you're under the influence of alcohol when you consume it, Well, this influence is likened unto alcohol, but it's not alcohol. It's the influence that this world system will have over the nations. But it's like that. And the adulteries that are mentioned there, which we'll talk more about in future studies, are all of the wicked practices that Babylon will inflict upon the nations. All of the wickedness that this system is already being formed is, is causing people to do and to embrace. We see it already. Whether you're talking about the fentanyl crisis, whether you're talking about transgenderism, uh, gender confusion, sexual identity confusion, all of these things are, if you will, the maddening wine, the, the adulteries that are being inflicted upon our culture today by design. But you can blame the twisted people who have embraced it or you can understand who's really behind it. But it will all be destroyed. Can I hear an amen? And then we get to the message of the third angel. And this one's an interesting message because it it really is the consequences of rejecting the gospel. We talked about the first angel, the gospel message is preached. The second angel, God's judgment is about to come upon the world system. You would think that that would be sufficient. But no, there's a third angel. And we read in verses 9 through 11, we'll start there. A third angel followed them. And said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on the forehead of their hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest day or night, for those who worship the beast and his image, or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. That's a warning to the people at that time who will have an opportunity to reject God and receive a mark that represents that they worship the devil and his leader, the Antichrist. It's a choice, an active choice, that people will be given the opportunity to make. We talked about it at the end of chapter 13. It's not a message to us today, and yet there are things we can learn by looking at this. One thing we know is that governments are really good at trying to mandate us to do things. Uh, They're incredibly successful, more successful than I would have ever imagined over the last couple of years. I've learned that. Too many people, including Christians, are willing to line up and do whatever the government tells them. Am I preaching insurrection? No. I'm just saying noncompliance when the word of God is in conflict with the laws of man. That's all I'm saying. So here's the thing. This angel proclaimed eternal judgment to those that worship the beast and receive his mark. There is a judgment coming upon those that reject God. This is the third warning that it's going to happen, right? 
the third warning. Now, that's amazing to me because God does not need to warn us. He has already sufficiently warned us. But it's important to note that he's not going to leave anyone with an excuse. They say, oh, if I only knew. If I only knew. No, not at all. This angel, this third angel, will proclaim that judgment. And those that worship the beast and his image will have rejected Christ. If you weren't here for our study in the second half of chapter 13 of this book, just a few weeks ago, I encourage you to listen online. You'll get a lot more information about that, Mark. I don't have time to go into it again today, but the people who receive this mark will knowingly and willingly pledge their devotion to this coming world ruler as a god. Oh, by the way, in, in the enlightened world, we think, oh, no one's going to worship someone as a god. You know, a politician just said that the climate is god. There was a person, I, I read the article, they suggested that the climate is god. And by the way, the Greeks, they gave a name to the god S that represented the earth. It was Gaia. They actually gave that god a name. So is it If you would have said to me 20 years ago that we're going to go back to worshiping the sun and the earth like the ancients did under paganism, I would have said, are you crazy? Except that the climate agenda is exactly that. It's it's, it's paganism. You understand that? You understand that? It's paganism. And it's not even, what they're saying isn't even true. Aside from the lies, they want you to worship the planet and don't think they don't. The language they use. But this promotion of planet worship is, is, goes back to Babylon. It went from Babylon to the area of Pergamos, and then it made its way to Greece and into Rome, and, and it exists again today. This idea that you worship the planet, not God. You worship not the creator, but the creation, which is what Paul talked about in Romans. So that is happening. We are there, and people are embracing that idea. But they will be forced in that day to receive this mark in order to escape death. No one will be able to buy or sell without this mark. It's a mandated mark. It doesn't have to be technology. It can be, quite simply, it could just be a mark. It doesn't have to be anything technical. It just basically says you reject God, but once you do this, it's too late for you to be spared judgment. Those that receive his mark on the forehead or on the hand will be condemned for all eternity, which is why God will not allow anyone to receive this mark without three angels making it clear, don't do this. Now, I mentioned this a few weeks ago. There were a number of hyperactive Christians, I'll call them, who decided that the vaccine, the COVID vaccine, was the mark of the beast. My problem with that, it begins with, it doesn't end there, but it begins with where were the three angels warning us that it was? You see, why are people so silly? I use the word silly because the other word is inappropriate in church. Okay, so here's the thing. They will drink the wine of God's fury. Do you know what that means? It's, it's the wine that is poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. The wine of God's fury is poured into the cup of his wrath. The language describes a wine that's full strength. Now, uh, I don't drink. I haven't had a drink, and I think we're up to 37 years. Uh, here's the thing. When wine is at full strength, it's a little bit more than table wine, okay? We're actually now talking about hard liquor at this point. This idea of a full strength wine... 
undiluted, because they would dilute their wine in those days. They drank wine mostly because it was safer. Uh, Carl talked about today the problem with water sources in the developing world or the third world, that, you know, you drink standing water, you get parasites, you get all kinds of uh, problems. But if you have alcohol, it kills those things, so it's way safer to drink something with alcohol in it than something without alcohol in it. Paul even said to Timothy, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake with your water. The idea was that was their purification system. So they would water down wine, and the water would be safe to drink. Are you with me? Unless you're drinking spring water that's clean, you would have a problem. Standing water would be a problem unless it was mixed with a disinfectant. So that was the idea. But here we're learning about wine that is not used in that way. This is judgment completely absent of mercy and grace. God's full strength judgment, the fury of his wrath, will be upon those that reject Christ. God's cup of wrath, by the way, is expressed more than 13 times in the Bible. In Psalms, Jeremiah, here throughout the Bible, we hear of this cup of wrath. In fact, do you remember? Jesus referred to it in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the idea behind the cup that Jesus desired, if possible, to avoid in Matthew 26, verse 39. Let this cup pass from my lips. He didn't want to drink of the wine of God's fury, the cup of his wrath. But he did. Why would he do such a thing? He did it for us. He willingly took the cup of the Father's wrath that we deserved, that, we, that was waiting for us to drink at our table setting, and he took it so we wouldn't have to. But his enemies will have no choice but to drink as that cup will be forced upon them, just like every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord in that day. And the people that, despite these warnings, are forced to drink in this analogy that's used of the full cup of God's wrath, they're going to be tormented. That's the symbol. The cup is a symbol. The actuality, the reality is described for us in verse 10, the latter part, where it says that these people will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. There's a few things I want to mention about this. First of all, it's in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. We don't tend to think of hell, and that's what we're describing here, the lake of fire. We don't think to think, uh, seem to think that, that, that hell is a place that's a, you know, in the presence of God and his holy angels. We think of hell like we don't have to see that. That's something that's happening backstage. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't come to the forefront. But did you see what it said there? They're going to be tormented in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. Well, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that they're in this heavenly paradise or the presence of God in that way, but they will be constantly tormented in burning sulfur for all eternity in God's presence. What does that mean? Well, first of all, you need to understand that our God, as the book of Hebrews teaches in chapter 12, verse 28, is a consuming fire. That is, if you were to stand in the presence of God, this tormenting experience is exactly what would happen to you, unless you were saved and spared the judgment of God because someone else took upon himself that cup, that cup of God's wrath, who drank from that cup in your place. So you see, we are spared what would obviously happen to anyone who stands before the presence of God. See, God's presence is never absent from any place in all of his creation. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths of the sea or in hell itself, you are there. 
You understand what I'm saying to you? This, is, this it might blow your mind a little bit. All of us are eternal beings. We're all going to last forever. We're all going to live forever. And all of us will spend eternity in the presence of God. Every one of us, the most wicked person, will spend eternity in the presence of God. The question is, will you experience God's wrath or his grace for all eternity? See, both the grace and the wrath of God are eternal. The wrath of God lasts forever. The grace of God lasts forever. Which you receive in eternity is up to you and you alone. Those who receive Christ receive God's grace. They're spared his wrath. But those that reject Christ reject God's grace and receive his wrath. So, you're not going to escape God. Hell hell isn't a place where God isn't. There is no place where God isn't. It's what of God you experience for eternity. His wrath or his grace. And we're told in verse 11 that the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever without rest, day or night. That is hell. Hades is the place of the spirits of the dead. But we'll see in chapter 20, even Hades is done away with, and all the people in the place of of the dead are, are cast into the lake of fire, which is this place of burning sulfur that we'll talk more about in future studies. Now, John explains that this is going to call for patient endurance on the part of the saints. That is, if you accept these messages... Now, if you reject the messages, we know we've already talked about what will happen to you. But what if you hear the message of the first angel and you say, well, I want to be spared. And you hear the message of the second angel and you say, well, I don't want to be destroyed with the world. And you hear the message of the third angel and you think, well, I don't want to go to hell. Well, this is what we're told in verse 12. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. That is, if you're alive at that day, on that day, or during that time, and you respond to the message of the angels. God tells us through John, you're going to need patient endurance. We talked about this a few weeks ago when we talked about enduring, patiently enduring. These are those who follow God, messianic Jews who obey God's law and also hold to the testimony of Jesus as described back in chapter 12. See, worshiping Jesus Christ in that day will most certainly incur the wrath of the beast. It's not going to be easy for those who are alive in that day to respond to the message of these angels. The message will be clear, but many will choose not to respond because it will require patient endurance. Worldwide worship of this image of the beast will be established, and the alternative will be death or starvation. That's not easy. There's nothing easy about it. And Satan will not only attack the Jews but it will attack the Gentiles that will come out of the Great Tribulation. Basically, this is going to be a very difficult, extremely difficult trial that will come upon the earth for those who believe. But it's still not going to to be as bad as it will be for those that reject Christ. So no one's going to have it made in that day. We really have it made today. We can respond to the gospel with the hope that Christ will call us home, amen? But not in that day. Many of the tribulation saints will go into captivity and be killed with the sword, we were told, in chapter 13. Well, let's end on a more encouraging note. In verse 13 we read, Then I heard, John writes, Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Wait a minute. You see, what we're being told is, those that believe and respond to the message of the three angels are going to be killed. 
this we know. It's going to take patient endurance to endure patiently the martyrdom that will inevitably come upon any who reject the world, reject Babylon, reject the beast, and receive Christ. And there will be many who do. But notice it goes on to say in the latter part of verse 13, yes, says the Spirit. The Holy Spirit says yes. They will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. So there's the message of hope, even to that generation of saints. But it's the same message to us. We have hope in Christ. Death will bring deliverance from the judgments that are about to come upon the earth, just as death will bring deliverance from the judgments of this world even today. Death is not the worst thing that can happen to us as Christians. In some ways, it's a great thing. I don't want to die. I don't have a death wish. But I'll tell you what, I'm not afraid of death because I know my Redeemer lives. All those that choose God will be spared his wrath through earthly death. Earthly death is how you'll have to be spared his, the wrath of the world and, and even the wrath of God. You'll come out of the earth through earthly death. These individuals will be ushered into glory, released from God's judgment, but it'll come through martyrdom. There are many that experience God in this way today. Not just then, but even today. And when John heard God the Holy Spirit speak, and say, yes, they will rest from their labor and their deeds will follow them. That is an encouragement for us as well. See, the Holy Spirit confirmed that they will rest and be rewarded for their faithfulness. You will rest in eternity and be rewarded for your faithfulness in Christ. Faithful martyrs will be abundantly blessed for all eternity. And so back to how we started about sharing that message the message of the gospel. The most important thing is, have you responded to the message of the gospel? And, and, and after you can say affirmatively, yes, I've responded to the message of the gospel, then the second question is, are you sharing the message of the gospel? And with that, let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, the message of the gospel is our hope. It's the power of God for salvation for all those who believe, Paul says, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. So all people can be saved through Jesus Christ. We know this truth and we acknowledge that you died on the cross for our sins. Jesus died for us, took to his lips that cup of wrath, metaphorically speaking, drank from the cup of wrath, filled with the wine of God's fury, so that we would never have to. And then Jesus rose again on the third day, hallelujah. The promise of eternal life is ours in him. New bodies, new resurrected bodies, sinless, perfect for all eternity. We know that day is coming soon. We know the judgment is coming soon. The world is moving towards these things that we talk about in the book of Revelation. And while we're not there yet, each and every one of us, well, we'll find ourselves in the presence of God for all eternity, no matter what we decide. The only question is, will it be your grace or will it be your wrath? Help us to know the seriousness of that decision And may each and every one of us respond affirmatively by saying, yes, Lord Jesus, I want you to come into my life. I claim you as Lord and Savior over my life. I acknowledge your cross as payment for my sins, your resurrection as the promise of eternal life. Give me your Holy Spirit who says yes here, but says yes and amen as well to our decision when we decide to give our lives to you. Oh Lord, may we be through your Son spared the wrath of God for all eternity, and spend eternity in your presence, worshiping you in glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.